Kayla Mueller was a sweet Christian girl. She always seemed to want to help other people, go on mission trips. We have people like that in our church. They just have a tender heart about them. Whenever there's an opportunity to serve, they want to serve. There's opportunity to go on a mission trip, they want to go on a mission trip, and that was Kayla. And she graduated from Northern University in Arizona, Northern Arizona University. She's a very bright, smart young lady, graduated in two and a half years. While she was in college, she would go to hard places. She would go to places like the Palestinian territory. Uh, she even would take mission trips to India and Israel. Such a sweet Christian young lady. August 3rd, 2013, Kayla went to help with Doctors on Borders. Now, this is a ministry that these medical doctors and nurses personnel, they go into the front lines of difficult places, and Kayla went. She knew full well the, the dangers of where she was going. She went to Aleppo, Syria, think about that, in 2013, just as ISIS was beginning to declare their caliphate. And their desire was to get a beachhead there in Syria, spread to Iraq, and then literally encompass the entire world. That was the goal of this person. And you've, it, it, I really don't even enjoy saying his name, but I'm going to say his name, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. He founded ISIS. And on this day, August the 3rd, the ISIS troops, they came in and they captured Kayla Mueller. And she was held in Bangadi's compound for years. He repeatedly raped her and tortured her. She would send out notes um, and messages would get to her parents and she would say things like this. I remember, Mom, you always told me that in the end, the only one you really have is God. And I have come to find to that place he really is all that I have. But in prison, mom, I am free. I have a lot of fight left inside of me. I'm not breaking down. Plus, I will not give in no matter how long it takes. I know you would want me to remain strong, and that is exactly what I'm doing. Al Bengadi also had a whole number of teenage women. Uh, you can imagine what he did to those women in his compound. One night, a group of the teenage ladies, they found an escape. They found an opportunity for them to get out of the compound and run to freedom. And they looked at Kayla and they said, Kayla's in her 20s. They said, come with us. We, we have an opportunity to leave. And she said, no. She said, you see, I'm an American. And as an American, if I escape with you, they will spare no expense to capture us, hunt us down. And not only will they kill me, they will absolutely kill you. So Kayla Mueller stayed. She stayed back. 2015 is the last we heard of her. Best we know that she was, she was killed by Bengadi. And who knows what torture and pain she went through. Y'all remember last Saturday there was a raid our special ops forces went into Syria and they killed that demon. They killed that guy, Benghazi. Do you know, I don't know if the media told us much about this. Do y'all know what the name of the mission was? Kayla. Kayla Mueller was the name of the mission when they went in. I like the way Jim Dennison describes 
the scene. And, and I love the way he captures it in just this one sentence. Yes, uh, Bengadi, he will always be remembered as one of history's worst criminals. Kayla Mueller will be remembered as one of history's most courageous martyrs. She is in a long line, a succession of men and women who have laid down their lives for the cause of Christ. She never would have gone to Syria had she not felt that God was compelling her to go and reach the least of these. Stephen was the first of these people. We've been reading, we've been studying the book of Acts now for a number of weeks, and we've been looking at this man named Stephen. He was a deacon, but he was also, and he has this nomenclature, he has this title, forever being known as the first of millions of Christian martyrs. And so we're going to read some more of his story today. If you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 7. If you're a guest today at Great Hills, as Jeremy said, I do want to also welcome you. We're glad that you're here. We're doing an exegetical, expositional study of the book of Acts, all 28 chapters. You say, what does that mean? That means it's going to take a long time. That, that really, that's, that's all that it means. It means that one of our core values at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I know this is an anomaly, I know this is a homiletical uh, estrangement in today's church, especially in America, but we are taking the Bible very literally. We believe it to be the Word of God. We believe it to be a gift from God that is applicable, that is pertinent to every generation. And so what we're doing at Great Hills as its core value, really number one, is we want to preach and systematically teach and study the Word of God not only collectively as a church on Sunday mornings, but we also do this in our small groups, in our connect groups, in our discipleship groups. If you want to know the textbook for Great Hills Baptist Church, we submit to you none other than the Bible, the Word of God. And what a great privilege it is for me that I get to share with you the Scriptures. I get to study the Word. I get to, to preach the Word of God. And so if you're new to Great Hills, if you're just joining in with us, a first-time guest, what we're doing is we're studying the book of Acts. We're calling it the church on the move. And that's exactly what was happening. In the early days, the, the inceptional moments, the Genesis moments of the church, they really began in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God comes down and the 120 go out. And the next thing you know, Peter is preaching and 3,000 people get saved. He preaches again and 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. And then like a conflagration, like a, it starts like an ember, like a little flame. It metastasizes into, uh, you know, into a fire. And then the next thing you know, I mean, this thing called Christianity has taken over the Roman Empire. And you say, how does that happen? It happens because of people like Stephen. Stephen who will stand against the tide of persecution and difficulty and he will speak the truth of God and the truth of God, it always stands. We may be persecuted, we may even be killed, but the word of God lasts forever and that's what will stand. And so that's what we're looking at today. Uh, we're in the book of Acts chapter seven. Uh, it, it's a many sermons. I think I'm gonna end up preaching five or six sermons just on the chapter of Acts chapter 7, because Stephen now, he is placed before the Sanhedrin, and he is given a verbal apologetic, and that means he's given a defense for what he believes to be true about the prophet. And then he's going to turn toward the end of this message, this, uh, this sermon, it's going to go from an apologetic to what you would call a polemic. 
And a polemic is totally different than apologetic. An apologetic is more of, this is a defense of what I believe, and a polemic goes on more the offense. It's more of an aggressive confrontation. And Stephen, by the way, he's outnumbered 70 to one. The 70 Sanhedrin, they are the religious political senate in Israel in the first century, and they're this one single solitary soul standing for Jesus Christ, and he's filled with the Spirit of God. He had so much courage. He has a backbone of steel. He has so much, I mean, no intrep, no fear, and he stands before the Sanhedrin, and he gives a defense for the prophet, and then he gives a polemic for the prophet, and you may ask, who is the prophet? Who is this man? Is it Moses? Is it Elijah? Is it one of the Jeremiah? Is it Amos? Is it one of the great minor or major prophets in the Old Testament? No. When I read for you in a moment in the Word of God, when I say prophet, it's going to be capitalized and it's Jesus. So I invite you to stand if you would. Go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word in Acts chapter 7. We're in verses 37 and we're only going to make it to verse 43. And you say, wow, thank you. That means this will be a short sermon. And we're so glad that the duration of this message will be brief and short. But I wouldn't bet any money on that. So let me, let me read to you verses 37 through 43. As we stand in honor of God's Word, as we stand really in honor of Stephen, of Kayla, and a host of people who have given their lives for the gospel. Remember, Stephen is being accused of hating and blaspheming God, Moses, the law, and the temple. Now, I want you to say, I want to say that one more time. Listen carefully. Stephen is being accused of blaspheming God, Moses, the law, and the temple. And those are four things that the Jews, you cannot, you must never blaspheme. And so now Stephen is defending. He's saying, I'm not blaspheming at all. I'm giving a defense. So here it goes. Stephen says, people, this is the Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord Yahweh, your God, Elohim will raise up. God will raise up for you a prophet. Now P, the capital P there, the prophet will refer to the Messiah, Jesus. A prophet like me, Moses says, from your brethren, him, capital H-I-M, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. The he who was in the congregation is Moses, and he was with our fathers, the one Moses who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but they rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. And they said to Aaron, make us gods, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses guy who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. And so they made a calf. They made a calf in those days and they offered sacrifices to the idol and they rejoiced, our forefathers, children of Israel, in Moses' day, they rejoiced in the works of their hands as they worshiped this golden calf. So God, he turned them over and God gave them up 
God gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Now he's going to quote Amos. He's already quoted Genesis and Moses. Now he's going to quote Amos. Phenomenal sermon. Stephen knows his Old Testament. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch or Molech and the star of your god Remphan, which is Saturn. So they had gods and goddesses to the stars, to the heavenlies. Images which you made to worship Israel. You worship these images. And God says, I will carry you away beyond Babylon. May the Lord add the blessing and the favor and the anointing on the preaching and the reading of the sacred word of God. You may be seated. So Stephen is accused of high crimes and spiritual misdemeanors. Stephen is the person who's put on trial that day because they said, you don't believe like we believe. You have disobeyed the law, the writings, the prophets. In fact, you have, you're, you're among that sect. You're among those people who blaspheme Yahweh and, and Moses and the law and the temple and all the things that are holy to us as Jews. You, saying you're a Hellenistic Jew, you have violated all the commandments and now we are judging you. And, and so Stephen says, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I love God. I love the law. I love Moses, the prophets, the writings. I love the temple. I love it all. In fact, I'm not the one, <laughs> I'm not the one who is disobeying God and standing in need of judgment, but you are. And that was Stephen's response because it all boiled down to this. All the laws, all the prophets, all the writings, the temple, the tabernacle, all of it prophesied and pointed to a person, to a prophet. And Stephen says, I submit to you the prophet, the person who has come. He has come from God. And he is the very personification of all the prophetic elements in the Old Testament. Moses even said to him, a God will raise up this prophet who's greater than me. Him you must listen to. And all the Old Testament, the major and the minor and the prophets, they, they prophesied of him. And he fulfilled all 450 prophecies in the Old Testament. And I submit to you, Sanhedrin, his name is Jesus the Christ. And so... You know, Stephen's sermon was accurate, it was true, but, but it was very, very unpopular. Much like um, preaching today, if a man of God or a woman of God were to go preach and teach and say things related to Jesus and the scriptures in some countries where 99 point something percent are of a different religion, I've been in those countries, I have I have preached the word of God in those countries. I've personally debated people in government in those countries. And I'm telling you, it, it is a scary proposition. And unless you are called of God and filled with the spirit of God, you will not go. But here's what I've noticed. When you go and when you obey God, even though it may take your life, what a glorious thing it is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, I am not ashamed. That's what he did. That's what Stephen did. That's what Kayla did. Never 
Will I back up? I will not apologize. But I will share with these people in the midst of Syria with soldiers all around me. Mom, you taught me well. You taught me to never give up. I will not give up. I will stand strong for Christ until the end. It's an interesting sermon I'm preaching to you today. Did y'all catch the title of this sermon? The Perils of Rebellion. Woo-hoo-hoo, doesn't that sound exciting, you know? The Perils of Rebellion. So man, I'd much rather hear the 18 ways to have a happy life and to get ahead financially. And what, what about the perils of what? So the perils of rebellion is Stephen's sermon that he preached in AD 34 among the Sanhedrin. And today I'm just, I'm committing plagiarism of the highest treason. I am preaching somebody else's sermon. But I must tell you, I am giving credit where credit's due, so it's really not plagiarism, because I'm telling you, I'm preaching this guy's sermon. And this guy's sermon is going to end up getting him killed. And I hope it doesn't end up getting, getting me killed. The way things are going in America, it probably will happen uh, eventually if things continue to progress in the, in the way that they're going. But in the meantime, we have these freedoms, we have these joys, we get to preach God's word publicly, openly. And so here's, here's what I want you to think about with me today, the perils of rebellion. You see, the people that Stephen was preaching to, they were rebellious in their heart. They were recalcitrant souls. They stubbornly rejected the prophet, the Messiah. And Stephen is confronting them in their rebellion, just like the prophets of old confronted the people of God in the Old Testament. And, and for prophets, it never really turns out really well for them. I don't know many prophetic voices where it doesn't, it, it, it's not only difficult for them among the outside world, but it's even more difficult for them within the church because people don't want to hear about rebellion. They, they, they don't want to hear the hard sayings of God. And so those with prophetic voices or those who stand up and preach God's word, they're actually positioning themselves to be attacked, to be hated, to be misunderstood. However, that's, that God, God's raised some people up to do it and God bless them as they do it. So here it is, rebellion begins by rejecting God's provisions. In verses 37 through 39, Stephen gives this defense, this apologetic, and he, far from dishonoring Moses, I mean, he honors Moses. Did y'all see that? And let me recount it for you. Verse 37, he says, this is that Moses. Verse 38, this is him. In verse 38 again, he is the one. And in verse 39, he refers to him as whom. So Stephen, he preaches the Old Testament and and defines in very clear terms that Moses also believed <laughs> the same thing Stephen believed. And see, so that's the thing that they are so much against. They are punishing him, they are persecuting him because they said that you are dishonoring Moses and, and you're, you're disobeying the law. But, but Stephen is saying, no, I'm actually honoring him. Because let me read it to you, it's Deuteronomy 18, Verse 15, this is the text that Stephen is preaching in AD 34, and it goes like this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Does that sound familiar? This is what Stephen quoted. He quoted from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. This prophet, like me, will be raised up from your midst, from your brethren. How about that? He will be from Israel. Him you shall hear, Moses said. 
I will raise up for them in verse, I think that's verse 18. He says it again. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among them, among their brethren. And I will put my words in his mouth and he, this prophet of God will speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear him or hear his words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Now, interesting, when you read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, you could check me on this, Acts chapter 3, verse 22, Stephen, I mean, Peter does the same thing as Stephen. The apostle Peter, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 18, and he, I mean, all, in, in verbatim, he's quoting Moses. And so here comes Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he does the same thing. He quotes the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, and when Peter preaches it, 5,000 people get saved. And I was looking at that going, that is absolutely amazing. He preaches it, 5,000 people give their lives to Christ. They believe what Moses said. They believe that Jesus Christ is the, he is the fulfillment of the prophecies. He is the good prophet. He is the, the servant uh, king of God. He lays down his life. He rises from the dead and 5,000 people get saved. And yet when Stephen preaches it, nobody believes and he dies. I'm like, what's up with that? I mean, he preaches the same sermon and no, there's not 5,000 people there to say, woo, man, hallelujah, we believe. There's 70 angry religious people stroking those rabbinical beards, looking at him, and they kill him. And that, that messed me up. That bothered me. I'm like, God, what in the world is going on? And it's almost like God was just breaking me this week. And God was teaching me. It doesn't matter who preaches it. It doesn't doesn't matter what the results are. The fact is God's word is preached. Wow. That's heavy. That's a heavy, heavy thought. And now Stephen is saying, yes, but you have rebelled against God and the law and the prophets. And, And this rebellion... It's demonstrated by your outright rejection of God. One writer says, Stephen affirms his belief in the law, again, making a not guilty plea. He declares that God was the author of the law, that angels were its mediator. You read all that. And Moses was its recipient. That certainly was not blasphemy, and the Sanhedrin knew it full well. Verse 39, Stephen tells his audience that our fathers, they would not obey Moses. They they rejected Moses. They rebelled against Moses. And as they rebelled against Moses, in essence, they were rebelling against God. If you will, look at verse 39. I'm in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 39, it says, Whom our fathers would not obey, but they rejected him. Apotheoma. It's interesting, church. This word... It means to shove somebody. It it literally means to reject them or push them off the cliff. And Stephen says, that's exactly what our forefathers did to poor old Moses. I mean, Moses went up to Mount Sinai 
and he received the divine oracles of God, meaning he received the Ten Commandments, he received the, uh, the blueprint for the tabernacle, which would eventuate into the temple. And while Moses, the prophet of God, is up there hearing from God and talking to God, the people of Israel, they got real impatient. Y'all remember the story? Well, let me rehearse it for you. It went a little bit like this. Where is Moses? Well, I don't know Moses. And while he's gone, let's just talk about him for a few minutes. Do you believe he had the audacity to take us out of Egypt? I mean, wow. I mean, in Egypt, they started talking about the glory days of Egypt. And they're like, well, Moses, we don't know what happened to him. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You know where he is. There's a, there's a globe up there. There is God speaking to your prophet, to your man, Moses. And they say, well, we don't know what happened to him, but we do know that the Egyptians seem to get good benefit from worshiping calves. So let's do this. Bring all of your gold and they molded the gold and they shaped the gold into a calf and all the Israelites got down on their knees and they bowed down to the golden calf. Golden calf, golden calf. You're the one that we worship. Oh, my word. I mean, God had supernaturally sent the 10 plagues. He had parted the Red Sea. He had given them a man of God who has a heart and a passion for God who departed for 40 days to go on the mountain to hear from God. And in just a brief 40 days, the children of Israel, here's the word, I wish I had a mannequin. I wish I had a, you know, one of those little mannequins. It would just be, I'd push the mannequin off and let him tumble down the steps because that's what they did to Moses. They literally physically and spiritually, really, they just pushed him aside. And Stephen said, Sanhedrin, that's our people. That's the Israelites of old. They rejected, they pushed him away. They completely forgot that Moses was God's man to lead them to the promised land, and yet they rebelled against him and they rebelled against God. Secondly, Stephen says, rebellion continues with a yearning and a longing for the past. Oh, the past, the glorious days of the past. Can you see them around the campfire just going, oh, Y'all remember the good old days? Y'all remember when we were in Egypt? And, and, and it's amazing how wonderful the past becomes when you lose your ever-loving mind. They're going, oh, remember? You were slaves. You were beaten within an inch of your life. You had no freedom. You could not worship God. You had to worship <clears throat> the gods of Pharaoh. And yet they reminisced about the past. In, in verse 40, they said to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And they made a calf in those days. They offered sacrifices to the idol and they rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Mercy, rebellious hearts. They tire of walking by faith. And they always demand of religion of sight. And so they were like, as for Moses, we don't see him, but the calf, we see it. And while we're talking about it, why don't we just go back? 
you know, why, why don't we just go back to the good old days? I mean, we're here in uncharted territory. We don't, we don't have no idea really where we're going. I mean, from Moses, he thinks he knows. He thinks he hears from God. We don't really know about him anymore. We don't even know where he is. But we know where Egypt is and we, we ought to just probably go back. And verse 40 is a quote. I mean, literally, verse 40 is a quote in Stephen's sermon of Exodus 32, 1. And it says this, Now the people saw that Moses delayed his coming down from the mountain. The people gathered together Aaron, remember him, he's Moses' brother, and they said to him, Come, make us gods that will go before us. For as for Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. By the way, you said, Pastor, you just read that. Yeah, I read that of Acts 7, but it's literally verbatim in Acts 7 what was written in Exodus 32. So he's a Bible preacher. Verse 41, the Israelites, they said, you know, let's, let's go back. And I, and I have in my notes, never underestimate a heart that rebels against God and then returns to the past life from which God delivered them. By the way, I don't want to go back. I, I don't want to go back to the life I had before I met Christ. And God redeemed me, God saved me, God's preserved me, and I never, when it gets so hard serving God, I, I never want to give up on God. I never want to go back to what I think were some maybe glory days in my ministry or, or go back even to, well, what if I just go back and forget it all? I mean, maybe I could just push restart and I can go in a different direction in my life and I won't have so much trouble. I won't have so much difficulty. I won't, I won't have to have this mantle of being a prophet of God and speaking in the 21st century. Maybe I'll just go back because I'm sure it could be easier. But in my heart of hearts, no matter how difficult or how dark and ominous it may become, I'll never go back. I have no, I have no desire, do you? Some of you are like, well, let me think about that a minute. Do you really want to go back? No. That's how rebellious hearts think. They, they begins with a rejection of God, and then the, rebel, the past becomes much more glorious than it was. And so it, here's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping this sermon will be a barrier. It'll be a wall between you Okay, you're here, and the past is here. Now, don't think this is falling on deaf ears. Trust me. Trust me. This is not falling on deaf ears. I mean, I'm, I read, and I get emails, I get calls frequently from friends of mine who go back. They've had enough. It's too hard. Let me just go back and do something else, okay? I want Brother Danny to, and God's help, to create this massive barrier. I know when I think of a wall that brings all kinds of political ideas and so forth, just forget that for a moment. I'm, I'm much more interested in this wall. This huge wall that I want to help create in your mind that prohibits you from going back, turning away like the rebellious Israelites did. Just say, no. My hands are to the plow. My eyes 
are focused on the king. And, and no matter how much the devil tempts me to go back and to think of how wonderful those days were, those days were not wonderful. Those days were full of captivity and bondage. So stay out of my mind, devil. I am going forward with Jesus and I'm going to finish strong. So it's not on deaf ears. Please, please don't go back. Don't give up. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up on your marriage. You can't kill your teenagers. That's murder, okay? So don't. <clears throat> don't give up on your teenagers. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on your church. Stay focused, stay with your eyes. And, and Stephen, I can just see him preaching this message to the Sanhedrin and they're religious and they're right. They're always right. Overly religious people are very proud and they're always right. They, they cannot even for a moment think that they are mistaken. And Stephen is demonstrating for them, they are mistaken of the highest treason. Talking about culpability, Culprit about people who are to blame, it's not the one guy, Stephen, it's the 70 guys who are representative and symptomatic of the nation of Israel who rebelled against God by turning away from his provisions, looking, looking back to the past. And then finally, Stephen says, when we do this, it results or it eventuates into the punishment of God punishment of God is found in verses 42 and 43. And let me just tell you something, folks. This was a masterful stroke of genius on the part of Stephen. Stephen seamlessly takes them out of the Is Israelite wandering years of 40, and he fast forwards into the days of the kings. And by the way, there were some kings like Ahaz in 2 Chronicles 28, 3, and Manasseh in 2 Kings 21, 8, and those people worshiped Molech, all right? The God of the Ammonites and, and the, the way that God was appeased was you sacrifice your children. And the children of Israel under the leadership of these wicked kings would sacrifice their children to these, to these demons. And so Stephen, he remembers all of that. And so he wraps it up and he says, and God punished them. God sent the Assyrians in 722 BC and, and, and they took out, they took out Israel and the 10 tribes of the north. And then the last word in our sermon today is Babylon. Did y'all see that? I mean, he's taken them from Israeli wandering years, Moses days, all the way, that's about 1500 BC, all the way to about 722 BC. And now he ends in 586 BC where it says, and Babylon destroyed our land. Why? Because of the rebellious hearts of God's people. They turned away from God. They turned away from worshiping God. They knew very well what was right. And yet they, they stiff-necked, thumbed up their noses to God and said, we know what you say, God, but we, we're not going to do that. We're not going to obey your very clear biblical teachings. We're not just going to worship you. We're going to worship who we want to worship. We want to worship Molech, we'll worship him. If we want to, if, if, if we want to follow King Ahaz, we, we will follow him. And we're going to do whatever we want to do. And God says, okay. 
You have a choice to do that, but it will always come with a heavy price. And so God punished, you know, God punished Israel of old. What does God have in store for us? If our school district in Austin will approve the literature that they approve to be taught to our children, what does God, what does God think about that? Homosexuality is okay. It it is to be celebrated. It's as normal as anything else you would know. And we teach our children that that's okay. What does God think about that? Doesn't it, does it not break the heart of God? This was voted unanimously in our city. The curriculum that should be taught to our students in public school. I know what the Bible says, but I don't, so we're going to do what we're going to do. And I'm just saying, God, in wrath, remember mercy. Have you ever been preaching and you have so many things to say and you don't know which one to, to say? Has it ever happened to you? You see, it happens to me all the time, Pastor, when, when I'm preaching. It just... You know, I wonder, I wonder, preacher, if we have gotten ourselves in this mess, it's because men of God in the pulpits, don't, they don't call it out anymore. They don't, they don't say what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. Homosexuality is as wrong in Leviticus as it is in Romans as it is today. It is, it is not to be celebrated. Let me, let me tell you something else. Drunkenness is as wrong in the book of Leviticus as it is today. Sin is sin, no matter what the sin is. And it seems like we... We, you say, well, why are you picking on homosexuality? I'm not picking on anything. I'm just saying when this comes up and it's approved, when it's clearly prohibited by God, then I think we ought to say, we ought to say something about it. As people of God, as the church of God, you say, wait a minute, brother, you preach like that, you might not make it. I don't have to make it. I've long concluded that I do not have to make it as a minister of the gospel. I'm just going to have to be faithful to God, preach the word of God, and live the best I can for the glory of God. I remember a friend of mine, he, his son 
played football for Rice University. He said, now that's a, I bet that went really well for him. No, not really. It, you play for Rice, it's, it's usually not a good thing. Um, go, go owls. How many owls do we have in the house? We have a few. I know, I'm sorry, I'm done. But it's just, it's just truth, you know, I'm sharing truth. But Nate, uh, his name is Nathan, uh, Nate Richards, is the son of Dr. Jim Richards, who's the executive director of the Southern Baptist of Texas. And Nate, um, he's 6'3", 300 pounds. He started for center at Rice and went on to try out for a couple of teams in the pros. But he said, you know, really my, my goal, Dad, is not to do what you did. My goal is not to be a pastor. I think God wants me to be a lawyer. And Jim Richards jokingly says, you know, my wife and I, we failed. We just failed him miserably, you know. We, we tried to raise him up to be a preacher, and now he's a lawyer. When Nate was in high school, they had a big game, a playoff game. Oh, I think they were trying to make the playoffs. And Nate got the team together, and the coaches said, yeah, you can, you can talk to them. You can meet with them. And he got his team together in high school, and he says, he says, guys, you don't have to do this, but I'm going to challenge all of y'all to sign a statement that you will not touch alcohol or drugs for the remainder of our football season. All but six showed up for the meeting. This is a large high school in the state of Texas, not too many years ago, which there's a good probability that most of those young men did both, right? But Nate, he, he came to them and he said, I want to challenge you to, let's just do the right thing. Because if we put those substances in our bodies, I'm not here to preach to you. I'm not here to tell you, you know, I'm just here to say that if we do that, then that will prohibit us from performing to our peak ability on the football field. So this is non-compulsory. You don't have to do this, but if you do this, then I want you to sign your name. And if you sign your name and you are found out to be drinking and doing drugs, and here's what's gonna to happen to you, because of your guilt, all of us are going to be punished. All of us are going to run extra laps. We're going to spend more time doing very painful things because you represent us. Now, again, I'm not asking. I'm just saying, if you want to sign this, you can sign it. Secondly, if you sign this and you do it and we find out about it and all of us are punished for it, if you do it again, then we're kicking you off the football team. <laughs> Again, he's 6'3", about 300 pounds, and he tells the guys, and his buddies are saying, we will kick you off the football team. If you sign this document, that means that you're agreeing that when you commit this grievance and you do it, all of us are going to be punished, and then if you do it, then you're signing here that you're going off the football team. And every single football player signed it. Isn't that amazing? Every one of them walked up and signed the document. And Nate Richards went on to say, oh my goodness, I wish, I wish you could have seen football practice on Monday. I'd never seen such a fired up, 
boisterous, energized team to get out there and do what we're supposed to do. Nate, he's married now, and uh, he went on to Texas Tech. Now, that's a better football team. He went on to Texas Tech, and he got his law degree, and he's practicing law in Dallas-Fort Worth. And I'm just thinking, you know, glory to God and would to God that we would have more Kayla Mueller's, more Nate, Nathan Richards, more Stevens, more people who will stand up and say, this is right. This is right in the eyes of God, and this is wrong. You remember Billy Graham's famous quote when he said, everybody is so concerned about offending everybody, but God, but God. I don't want to offend God. I want to preach God's word. I want to live for him. I, I want to represent him well in this city. And so I want to pray. Would y'all, would y'all pray with me and we'll have our invitation. Father, I just want to come to you in prayer. I just want to seek your face. I want to seek your face on behalf of our church, on the behalf of our city. I pray for our city. I pray for godliness. I pray for wisdom. Lord, we, we need you, God. We, we need righteousness. We need men and women of faith and fortitude and of ethics and morality who will say, this is not healthy, this is, this is not a good path for our children, but this is. This is the way. Let's walk in it. And God, may we, as the church of God, help us not to rebel against you or rebel against your word. Lord, rebellion always seems to begin in the heart of man when we deny what God says, when we deny your provisions, when we deny your clear teachings. It seems to continue on, Lord, thinking that if we just do that, then everything will be better. If we just go back to another way of living or just a free, a freedom that where there's no accountability. But God, we know, we know, God, that your word says that you will hold us accountable and there will be a retribution. There will be a punishment if we clearly violate the clear teachings of the word of God. So, Lord, here at Great Hills, certainly. We are not a perfect church. I am not a perfect pastor. Lord, we, we sin. And God, our sin, our sin of pride is as nauseous as the sin of homosexuality. So Lord, rid us. Rid us of pride. Rid us, Lord, of, of rebellion. God, may our hearts be pure. Lord God, who am I? Who am I to even try to preach the sermon? Lord, and am I an idiot? Lord, have I lost my mind to preach a sermon on rebellion against a decision of the school district? Lord, God, please protect me and please protect our church. God, I pray that we would be faithful, faithful to the scriptures, faithful, Lord, to your teachings. And so, Lord, I'm just praying, if you would, protect us as a church and protect our children, Lord, our precious children that we send, many of our families, many people send our children into the school districts. Lord, I pray for them. You don't know this church. I want to tell you something. Before I preach this sermon, 
before I stood up to preach this sermon, one of the most godly men in our church came up to me and said, Pastor, what on earth, what on earth could we do if we have children in this situation? What do we do as Christians? And so we had a good conversation, and we, we talked this thing through, but, but Jesus, more than anything else, we need you. Our church needs you, Lord. We need you to, we need you to help us. Lord, we need you to sustain us. Lord, we need to be true and faithful to the values that you've given us of preaching the Word of God, standing on the Word, standing for marriage, praying, reaching people, making disciples, being unified. Lord, we need your help in all of those pillars of our church. So we pray and I pray. Lord God, I'd pray more than any other time in my ministry. I need you. I need you, Lord. I need your wisdom. I need your heart. Lord, I need your passion. Lord, I need your motivation to keep going. And so, Lord, we pray. Lord, we pray not as an addendum to a sermon, but, Lord, I'm praying. I'm praying, Lord, for your mercy and your strength. And your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and I appreciate that. And in a moment, we're going we're gonna to stand, we'll have an invitation, we're going to invite you. We're going to invite you to come and pray at the altar. We're going to invite you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. We're gonna, I'm going to invite you, if you have this residue, this, this germinating seed of rebellion in your heart, that you would ask the Holy Spirit to spotlight that and ask the blood of Jesus to extricate that, to remove that so that there's no turning back, there's no, there's no yearning for, for something in the past, but that God would replace that for a passion for Him and a joy for the present and an optimism for the future. Can I pray that for you? Can I pray that for you? I'm praying that for you even now. And when we close this prayer and say amen, again, I'm just going to invite you to come. Maybe you're here today and you would pray and say, I'm going to pray for our nation. I'm going to pray for our country. I'm going to pray for our city. I'm going to pray for our mayor. I'm going to pray for our governor. I'm going to pray for our president. I'm, going to, I'm just going to pray for America. And I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to do that. Um, maybe you're here today and today is the day God has revealed to you your sin, your need for repentance and faith. Can I invite you now? Would you come today and just give your heart to Jesus Christ? Would you come? When you take one of these pastors by the hand and just say, today is my day that I'm believing in Jesus. I believe that He is who He says He is. I believe that He died on the cross for my sins. He arose from the dead and I am trusting in Him today. Today is my day of salvation, would you come? I invite you to come. I implore you to come. So, Father, we pray now that as we stand in your presence, Lord, as we stand in your honor, as we worship you, God, that we would surrender. Lord, every one of us today will have made a weighty, spiritual, significant decision before we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand.